Today's Bible reading is from the book of Acts, chapter 10, verse 34 to 43. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen. By us he ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is God's word. Well, thanks so much uh, for reading. Let's keep that page of the, the Bible open. Let me pray one more time. Almighty God and merciful Father, we fall down before your majesty and ask from the bottom of our hearts that this seed of your word, now sown among us, may take such deep root that neither the burning heat of persecution would cause it to wither, nor the thorny cares of this life would choke it, but that as seed sown in good ground, it would bear fruit 30, 60, even 100-fold compared to what was sown. As your heavenly wisdom has appointed, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How will injustice ever come to an end? Injustice in your life and in mine, injustice in our city, injustice in our world. I'm tasked this Sunday with thinking about hope, and I want to approach this by reflecting on where we can find hope in a world full of injustice. Of course, sometimes what is called injustice is relatively trivial. I read an article recently entitled, Christmas Number One, Injustices. Uh, the argument of the article was that Christmas number one, it used to be something to take pride in, Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen in 1975, always on my mind, Pet Shop Boys in 1987, the two become one by the Spice Girls in 1996. <laughs> the year that apparently it, it went over the, the cliff was the year 2000. Do you remember what the number one was in the year 2000? Bob the, Bob, the, like, Bob the Builder. I knew you'd know it. I knew you'd know it. Bob the Builder, can we fix it? Destiny's Child's um, independent women had to settle for number three. That was number one. And the point was injustice, but sometimes it's just it's trivial. But sometimes the injustices that we hear about, they're distant from us, but they do say something about what the human heart is like. I don't know if you heard recently about uh, the match fixing that went on in 2016 in the Rio Olympics. So it turns out that um, most of the boxing matches that happened in Rio were fixed. 
So to, to the point that, that the judges would meet every morning and decide before anyone had stepped in the ring who was going to win and who was going to lose each fight. It's distant from us, but it reveals something sinister going on in the hearts of people like us. The greed and deceit involved is frightening. And yet sometimes, whether it feels at arm's length or whether it feels at close quarters, the injustice that we hear about, well, clearly it robs people of their dignity. There are pay gaps and glass ceilings, people from ethnic minority backgrounds far more likely to be sent to prison for crimes that other people are not. Uh, I went to a safe house recently for victims of modern-day slavery, and it is shocking. People living within stone's throw of, uh, of where we are now who haven't been able to leave their house for years. And I think of uh, the Rise Academy, uh, something that we set up, a, a modest project to help boys at risk of social exclusion in the estate that we live in, in Battersea. Often not because of their behavior, but because of their background. And one boy in particular, Ricardo, his name is, and I remember trying to teach him math some years ago and, and saying to him, look, why is it you're staring out the window rather than listening to what I'm saying? And he said, look, it's because of my condition. And his condition uh, was being dyslexic, having dyslexia. And somehow, because of his abilities, his social class, his, the color of his skin, people around him had conditioned him to think of himself as less than. So many in society, in so many ways, neglected and rejected time and time again. How will injustice ever come to an end? Where can we find hope? Now, look, John F. Kennedy, previous American president, said each time a person stands up for an ideal or acts to improve the lot of others or strikes out against injustice, he sends forth a tiny ripple of hope, daring other ripples to be built up into a current that can sweep down the mightiest walls of oppression and injustice. His point was a simple one, that humanity working together has the power to turn things around. And yes, there have been many ripples, and sometimes there have been moments when uh, the current has seemed to flow strongly, but yet shocking injustice still remains, does it not? In our hands, the words of John F. Kennedy, incredible words as they are, end up seeming a bit like children standing in front of a huge construction site with a plastic screwdriver saying, Bob the Builder, can we fix it? And yet we can't. How will injustice end? Where can we find hope? I want to remind us this morning that justice is coming, that there will be a world where justice will roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream, Amos 5, and it comes through the justice bringer, our hope giver, Jesus Christ. And to see it, we dive into the middle of the book of Acts and the middle of a chapter, chapter 10, where we meet Peter, a close follower of Jesus, an apostle, and he's giving a sermon and this sermon comes in the midst of a, of a rather long narrative which describes an encounter between Peter, who is a Jew, and a religious uh, Roman man who doesn't know about Jesus, a centurion called Cornelius. And central to this message is the fact that Jesus is God's judge. 
Jesus is God's judge. Have a look uh, down with me and see that. At the end of verse 36, we see it. I'll read verse 36. It says, You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is, here it comes, Lord of all. And at the end of verse 42, a similar kind of phrase, verse 42 reads, He, that is God, commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one, Jesus is the one, whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. It's bookended by this idea that Jesus is God's judge. And if there is to be one judge over all of the earth, then our hope Our hope rests on that judge, that person, the one in charge of it all, being utterly in control, utterly trustworthy, and utterly good. I think of Winston Churchill, great leader, who saw us through World War II, and yet in other respects was deeply flawed. If there is to be one judge over the earth, then he must be different, utterly in control, utterly trustworthy, utterly good. And Peter is at pains to describe his qualities in these verses. Peter's just been shown in the verses before uh, that, that although the Jews were set apart, it didn't mean that Gentiles were to be set aside. He's had this new clarity given to him on the nature of salvation. He says in verse 34, as he begins to speak, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. God does not show favoritism. See, the one who is appointed judge, Jesus, he's appointed by a God who does not show favoritism. Now, that's not saying that that God runs a kind of moral democracy where anything goes. And it's not saying that, that he's sort of morally tolerant where he sort of simply puts up with us. When that term is used in connection with God, as it is, for example, in Deuteronomy 10, it includes these two senses. On the one hand, God will not take bribes like those judges in Rio. And on the other hand, he will not discriminate like so many in the life of uh, that that boy I mentioned uh, from the uh, Rise Academy, Ricardo. But through Christ, God offers welcome to all kinds of people. And I want us to consider this judge under two headings. Uh, The first, a needed hope, and the second, a witnessed hope. A needed hope, and the second, a witnessed hope. First, a needed hope, because the quality of this just judge doesn't just matter for people over there. It doesn't just matter because of a boxing ring in Rio or discrimination in classrooms. It matters because where we stand with this judge affects our eternal destiny. In verse 35, we read that this God, the God who doesn't show favoritism, accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Implication, I can be accepted, but it's not automatic. I can be accepted, but it's not automatic. It depends on fear, that is reverence of God, and as a consequence, doing what is right, humility before him. And we know, don't we, that all of us fall short of this. The fact that Peter is explaining this, uh, the need for uh, Jesus, 
to this religious and respected man, Cornelius, shows that being religious isn't enough. The fact that that the people of Israel needed to hear this, as it says in verse 36, he sent this message to the people of Israel, shows that a culture of religious upbringing isn't enough. And the fact that the devil is mentioned in verse 38, Jesus' work against the devil gives us another clue to the seriousness of the situation. There is something deeply malign that gets in the way of even our best efforts of doing good. President Kennedy's sentiments should mean that the world gets progressively better over time, that our acts of hope build into a flood. But what gets in the way? Well, there is a devil in the world, an evil in the world, even in us, that prevents us flourishing in the way that we are meant to. Now, this is a problem. You see, if we, if we need a perfect judge for an unjust world... If we need one who cannot be bribed and one who, on the other hand, will not use double standards against us, well, that judge must deal with the evil in us. And and so with the best will in the world, merely turning up to church now and then or giving money to good causes or being around other followers of God or seeking to follow the the laws of God as best we can in his word, well, none of that is going to be enough. The Jews have been trying to do that for hundreds of years, have they not? But we read here, acceptance with God is possible as we get to verse 36, through the peace available through Jesus Christ. Verse 36, it says, you know the message of God sent to the people of Israel announcing good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Acceptance is possible. Peace is available through Jesus Christ. I had the privilege of being uh, welcomed, accepted by a uh, judge recently, not because I got myself in trouble, uh, but because uh, he was hosting a men's uh, breakfast. It was a sprawling house. It was in a little village outside of uh, London. Everyone from miles around seemed to know this uh, guy. Uh, They traveled uh, quite a distance, really, to be uh, with him, with us that morning. Uh, It was the best breakfast that I've had in a while, and I was sitting on a table. You had pharmacists and uh, farmers and bankers and baristas all gathered together. In other words, all were welcome. And it was the kind of place where you just sat down and experienced conversation and calm and comfort, and you thought you wanted to be on the invitation list. And yet the offer here is so much greater It's so much greater, isn't it? In fact, it it says if we were to look at Luke 13, uh, uh, those who are accepted by God will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast of the kingdom of God. And it will blow that breakfast out of the water. It also says in Luke chapter 13 that those who do not accept his offer will experience regret and weeping forever. There is rebellion that a perfect judge must deal with. But in these verses, verse 35 and 36, the focus is on acceptance, on the offer. And in love, God is making it clear that entrance to the feast and indeed friendship with God can be possible and it comes through accepting the peace on offer through Jesus Christ. We may not have feared him much to date. 
We may not have thought about him much, but peace is on offer so that we can enjoy eternal acceptance by him. Don't fear that he will not accept you. Entry is on the basis of this offer of peace through Jesus Christ. And notice that the one who offers this peace is at the end of verse 36, Lord of all. That means that he's Lord of my eight-year-old and my 80-year-old neighbor. It means that he's Lord of the homeless guests that we welcome in Waterloo and Brixton and across London at London City Mission. It means that he's Lord of those who get up and head into the city uh, day by day and Lord of those who uh, open up their laptop with a cup of coffee most days rather than having to go into the office. He's Lord of those who got a great deal on the sales last week and those who don't go near sales. He's Lord of those who are just about to finish off their master's degree and those who don't have any degree. He's Lord of those who've just got a new job and those who don't have any job. He's Lord of all. Which means that whoever we are, wherever we are, the most important thing is where do we stand with this Lord? There will be a day when this nice shirt that I have on, which I quite like, will not matter anymore. The fact that I've written a book will not matter anymore. That the letters after my name will not matter anymore. Because there is a God who will bring justice to, to this earth. And he will sort out racism and nationalism and tribalism and casteism and sexism and classism. But he must deal with my transgressions too. And as my coffin is going down into the ground, or as the curtains close and the incinerator destroys uh, the coffin, the thing that will matter is the thing that will matter for my soul is the choices that I've made before this Lord of all. Here is the hope for the world, that there is peace available with God through Jesus Christ. Do you see, this is a needed hope. And so if you're not yet convinced, I guess the challenge for us today is to consider this uh, Lord, to reflect on him what you make of him. We've heard that there's an Honest Questions course coming up uh, soon. Do you find him to be in control and trustworthy and good? But if we are already convinced, the encouragement is to celebrate. To celebrate this Lord who is so kind and so generous to us and to others. That's what Peter's friends do uh, in the following uh, chapter. He is worthy of our praise because he's provided a way that we can be forgiven. He's Lord of all. So that's the first thing. It's a needed hope. The second thing is that uh, it is a witnessed hope. A witnessed hope. Our hope is not pie in the sky. It was witnessed. And the first thing that Peter uh, wants to, to let us know, he's open about the fact that his hearers are aware of the basic facts of what, have happen- what has happened uh, with Jesus. We see in verse 37, he begins, you know what has happened through the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John has preached. He couldn't completely make things up because these facts are known. They are in the public domain. He continues, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, 
and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Verse 39, we are witnesses of everything he did. And in these verses, in this little section, he's essentially summarizing Luke's gospel. In in verse 36, he's echoing the good news that the shepherds received from the angels. In verse 37, we get his baptism. In verse 38, the life and ministry of Jesus. In verse 39, his death on the cross, where he took uh, our sins in his place and uh, a punishment uh, was, was given and pardon made possible. And verse 40, his resurrection from the dead, to demonstrate the, the truth and completion of his, complaint, of his uh, claims. In other words, the, the basic information is available to you, uh, Cornelius. It's available to us. Luke's gospel is there. Here is someone, as we, as we look at his life and death and resurrection, who was utterly in control, even able to reverse the evil that he encountered day by day. Utterly trustworthy, utterly good. In verse 41, uh, he's at pains to say that he wasn't seen by all people, this Jesus, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. In other words, this was not a figment of their imagination. Jesus was not a ghost. He, they, they met with the resurrected Lord. They witnessed who he was. These facts are attested. Now, witness can change everything in a court case. In 2010, a woman called Kelly Harnett was sentenced to 17 years uh, in prison for a crime that she didn't commit. Now, at her trial in 2010, uh, there was one witness, and the, uh, the defense uh, lawyer asked the witness, take a look round uh, the courtroom. Take a look round. Do you see the woman here who had committed the crime? And the uh, witness said, no, she's not here. And the defense lawyer said, look, I just want to make sure, look, did you look around the whole of the courtroom? Uh, The witness answered, yes, I did. Did you see her here today? No. And yet the jury convicted Kelly anyway. Only last year was she retried and released. Here's the point. They ignored the solid testimony of the witness. And I wonder if sometimes we treat Jesus like this. By which I mean sometimes do we make decisions ignoring the solid testimony of the witnesses of Scripture? What would that look like? Well, when we as Christians allow our doubts to grow, we become prayerless. We allow a kind of irrational anxiety to take hold of us. Of course, we we get anxious about uh, things reasonably. But, but there's an irrational anger sometimes, isn't there, that we allow to just take hold and grow and grow. And does that happen in part because we forget that we stand on the solid testimony of the apostles? That if we revisited, would drive us to pray again and to calm our fears and to dampen our doubts. Can I encourage us to come back to the eyewitness accounts and spend time in them? Swim in them. Rejoice in them. It's not a magic wand, of course not. But we do have the blessing 
of those who heard and saw and touched and say, this is what we proclaim. Peace has been declared. A feast is being prepared. And more than that, in verse 43, we have the witness of the prophets. It says in verse 43, all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. For centuries, for centuries, with beauty and precision, the scripture testifies to the coming of Jesus, who is Lord of all. Uh, as a family, we were watching, uh, listening to rather, a radio uh, drama on uh, Radio 4 called A Time to Dance. It was uh, written by a non-Christian uh, writer called Lucy Gannon. And uh, it starts off, if you listen to the play, uh, with these words. Lucy Gannon says, I thought this play, which was just a retelling of the, the nativity story, I thought this play was going to be a doddle. An enchanted story that we all know well, no room at the inn, a star, cosy. But I found a different story altogether. A story where two people, Mary and Joseph, were convicted that they were doing God's will. And there were strangers in their midst, people like you and me, who got drawn into the story. And as you, as you follow this play, as you listen to the words, as she peppers Old Testament quotes through this play, you begin to wonder, is she experiencing something of the truth of verse 43? Is she beginning to realize for herself that all the prophets testify about Jesus, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness in his name? It seems, you see, as, as, she's, as she's delved into the scriptures, as she's seen the, the constant uh, signposting to him that it's beginning to take hold, friends, the more that we read, the more that we will find scripture confirming and encouraging us of its truth in our hope. May that be true for each of us this year, whether for the first time or the thousandth time, that as we come to Scripture, it reaffirms and convicts and encourages our hearts of these truths, that at those who come to Jesus receive forgiveness of sins through his name. As, as I draw to the end, uh, notice where my focus has been. My focus hasn't particularly been on us, <laughs> because our efforts to make this world a better place are not ultimately where our hope for this world lies. Yes, of course, following Jesus means that we want to be like Jesus. If he cared about justice than fairness, then so will we. But the life of the preacher of this sermon, Peter, should temper our expectations of what might happen. You see, the same Peter who speaks passionately here about a God who shows no partiality, a God who is fair, a God who is just, just a few weeks later in Galatia, stops associating with people like Cornelius under pressure from his mates. In other words, he's a work in progress. He's a work in progress. And despite the fact that Christianity has provided for communities uh, in, in a way that 
that no other society or community has been able to do. We've cared for orphans and widows and for homeless people and for strangers and have transformed cities that have faced epidemics and ethnic difference. Despite all of that, he and we are works in progress. How will injustice ever come to an end? Injustice in your life, in mine, in our city, in our world. Well, through the justice bringer, our hope giver, Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all, someone who is utterly in control, utterly trustworthy, utterly good, and his life and death and resurrection is exactly uh, in that. That's exactly what we see. Let's not be like Kelly Harnett's jury in 2010, who hear the witnesses and then carry on with our own preconceived ideas, our own favorite idols. Let us turn to or turn back to or keep going with Jesus, who is Lord of all. Let's bow our heads and pray. We are witnesses of everything he did. Our loving Heavenly Father, we are so privileged to to live at this point in history where you have given us uh, so much, so much that would encourage our hearts and strengthen our faith in the truth that you have sent a judge who will judge with equity and fairness, who will show no partiality and no favoritism. And we recognize, Father, that, that we would be lost if it wasn't for this offer of peace for all through Jesus Christ who offers forgiveness of sins. We thank you and we praise you. And we ask, Heavenly Father, that you would encourage our hearts more and more as we uh, revisit and reflect on the truths that you've given us in Scripture. And Father, we pray for those times where we uh, allow uh, our, our other ways of thinking, our other agendas, our other idols to grab hold of us more than these words. Father, as we return to them, would you turn down the volume on our fears? Would you calm our anxieties? Uh, would you redirect our hopes and our dreams that all might be centered on Jesus, who is Lord of all? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.